Acts 3, 16 through 26. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The, God, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. We are so thankful for your presence and your interest in coming to be with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship our great God. And this morning we invite you to be taking out your Bibles to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we are going to be looking at this sermon that Peter proclaimed, the second gospel sermon. We're going to be looking at that in a few moments and just thinking about that. But first, I think it's important to put that somewhat in context. You know, in the book of Acts, we are introduced to a lot of firsts. We hear about the first converts in Acts chapter 2. We talk about Peter's first gospel sermon that he proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. We talk about the first uh, Gentile convert. We talk about the missionary journeys of Paul, and we have numbered them very conveniently, first, second, and third. And so we see that we put a lot of emphasis on numbering things in the first of many of those things. And we do the same thing today in, in our lives, in, in outside of uh, church matters and congregational matters. We do this with our first child. And there's usually a, a lot of excitement that builds up, but then maybe after that second or third child shows up, we don't always do the... Uh, baby books and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we spend less time on those kinds of things. Or, you know, we talk about the first steps of a child, but we don't think much about their second or third steps, do we? We take a lot of those things for granted because we put a lot of emphasis on the first. Well, I think in the book of Acts, there is one sermon that Peter preached that sometimes is neglected, and that's his second sermon. His second sermon is extremely important and very helpful for us. In particular, whenever you think about the context that leads up to this, the occasion that led up to the sermon was the healing of a lame beggar. And the crowds, they knew this man because they would oftentimes carry him to the temple gates where he would beg for money. 
That was the only way that he was going to be able to uh, be provided for, that he would be able to receive certain things. And they had these people that would bring him out to the gates each and every day. And so the people, they knew who this man was. They knew his condition. They knew that he was unable to work, that he was unable to walk, and that he was one who would always beg for money. And in verse 8, as Peter told him that I don't have the I don't have money for you, but I do have something else for you. He told him to stand up and walk. And in verse eight it says, with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This man he began to walk and what a miracle that was performed. He immediately took strength and began to praise God. And all the people began to see him. They saw who this man who they knew, very familiar with, that they knew him. And they see him walking and praising God. And it says in verse 10, they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so they want to know what's going on. How did this happen? They want to find out, and so they go to the source of it. They go to Peter and John, and they ask them about what has happened. It says in verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. And he says, this wasn't done by my own power. It wasn't done by our own abilities. This was accomplished, this healing, this miracle, it was accomplished by the power of of Jesus Christ. And then he says, let me tell you about this Jesus. This Jesus Christ that you need to know about. He's the same Jesus that you delivered over to Pilate. And even when Pilate had decided to release him, you continued to disown him. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you put to death the prince of life, he tells them. But God raised him from the dead, to which we are witnesses. And this sets the whole premise for this second sermon that Peter proclaims that day. And the first thing that we want to take note of is to recognize what this sermon is all about. And really, I think you can easily see how Peter constructs this sermon around three important figures. And that three Old Testament important figures, Abraham, Samuel, and Moses. He tells them in verse 13 that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. That this Jesus that you were the ones who put to death, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He glorified Jesus. He honored Him. You are the ones who put Him to death. 
You continue reading on in this sermon in verse 19 as Peter says to repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That the times of blessing and times of refreshing, that this time of forgiveness of sins, this is accomplished through Jesus Christ as He ties all of that together. And at the end of the sermon, in verse 25, He says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and He quotes from the book of Genesis, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That this blessing has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. He continues on in verse 26, For you first, God raised up His servant and sent Him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Because God has fulfilled His promise to Abraham through Jesus, the blessing and refreshing is given to all families of the earth. This is what the Apostle Paul takes a great deal of time in the book of Galatians to write about in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, notice in verse 6 that Paul would write to the churches of Galatia in verse 6. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And he goes on to talk about the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. That Paul is going back and he's trying to show that Gentiles are included into the family of Abraham, not by flesh and blood, but by faith. That they are justified in exactly the same way as even Abraham was justified. Abraham was justified by faith, an obedient faith, an active faith. But faith is that which pushes us and motivates us to do what God says. And he would go on throughout this uh, chapter in verse 14. He says, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that is the blessing that God gives, that all nations will be blessed. In order that in Christ Jesus, that those blessings are found in Jesus Christ. They are located within Christ, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He goes on in verse 16, Paul does. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And then Paul makes a very particular argument. Well, in one in which is rather interesting because he says, and he does not say into seeds as in plural or as in many, but rather to one, that is seed, and to your seed, that is Christ. Paul's point is that it is in Jesus the Messiah that you find blessing. And he tells us how we are able to enter into Christ and enter into fellowship with Him. And that it is through our obedience in baptism. He tells us in verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And here it's very interesting to see that Paul connects faith and the very next thing that he connects it with in verse 27, he links it with baptism. For you 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So you are in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You belong to Christ, he would go on to say. And then you are part of Abraham's family. That all of this culminates in Jesus Christ. And so going back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3 in Peter's sermon here, Peter is trying to convey that the blessing of Abraham, all of these things, God's promises that he accomplished or that he promised and that he has accomplished, it has been accomplished in Jesus. It's been accomplished in Jesus of Nazareth. And if we want to enjoy the blessing of Abraham, the forgiveness of our sins, having our sins wiped away, then we have to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But there's a problem. There's a problem to the, with the audience that Peter was preaching to. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe it. They put him to death. And they killed him. And so they rejected the blessing that God had promised. They rejected God's grace and God's forgiveness. They rejected the Prince of Life and their Savior. They handed him over to Pilate to be killed. And they allowed a righteous man to be exchanged for a murderer. It's a very serious issue. They had rejected God's plan. They had rejected what God had promised and that the work that Jesus had come to accomplish. We need to be sure that we don't make that same mistake. We need to be sure that we recognize who Jesus is and that He is the one who has fulfilled the promises that God made with Abraham. And that blessing to all people, no matter skin color, no matter racial or, or socioeconomic status, that the Gospel is for everyone. That's the whole purpose that God had intended to accomplish whenever He made that promise that all nations, all people of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And we can become a part of the spiritual family of Abraham. And when we do, we are becoming part of God's blessing. And so we need to first recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that God made with Abraham. But then the second thing that Peter points out is that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. If you go to about the middle part of that second sermon in Acts 3 and in verse 22, Peter actually quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from Moses. And he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet, as he was speaking to Israel, a prophet like me from your brethren to him. You shall give heed to everything 
He says to you, And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And as he combines that quote with Deuteronomy with a passage from the book of Leviticus talking about people who would be exiled and alienated from the nation of Israel. Peter has a very staunch warning that Moses prophesied about how God would raise up another prophet, a prophet like Moses. That Moses spoke of a time when God was going to bring another person like himself Another lawgiver, someone who would proclaim good news, someone who would give a law. And you'll remember that in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, when people began to come to John, they were inquiring about who John was, John the Immerser. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And then they ask, are you the prophet? The people were expecting that prophet that would come that would be like Moses. They were expecting it. But John says again, no, I'm not. And very clearly in the Gospel of Luke, Luke affirms for us, that Jesus is that prophet. In the transfiguration in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 9, I know we talked about this some in our Bible study this morning, but in Luke chapter 9, in Luke's account, whenever you have Moses and Elijah there that are speaking with Jesus and they are conversing about Jesus' death and that He is going to be going up to Jerusalem to die, in in Luke chapter 9, In Luke, the ninth chapter, and in verse 35, it says, Then a voice came out of a cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And after that, notice verse 36, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Jesus had been conversing with Moses and Elijah, but now He's alone. Jesus is the last man standing. That He is the one that God has appointed, that He is the chosen one, He is the Messiah, He is the prophet that Moses had prophesied about. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in that passage in which Peter is drawing from, notice the language that Moses uses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and in verse 15. It says, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. That's exactly what the voice from heaven declared. Listen to Jesus. You listen to the words of Jesus. Because whenever you reject the prophet that is sent by God, 
It reveals that you are rejecting God. And that it's going to lead to your alienation. That you are going to be exiled from the people. And that is why Peter says in verse 23 of Acts 3, in that sermon, and that it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Peter is trying to warn these people that if you don't listen to Christ because of your rejection of Him, it's going to lead to your utter destruction. Which is something that the Apostle Paul would warn about in the book of 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 7, as the Apostle Paul is warning about the judgment day in which Christ is going to return and how God is going to repay affliction for affliction, that those who are treating Christians badly, they are going to be punished. They are going to be held accountable. And he says in verse 7, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They are going to be alienated. They're going to be exiled. They will not be near God. That's a very sobering thought. Now, whenever we sin and when we reject God's plan of salvation, when we reject the words of Jesus, when we reject the Gospel, we are making a choice. We are making a choice that we are going to be outside of Christ. We're going to be outside of the presence of God. We're going to be outside of His glory. Judgment is certain. And if we ignore and if we reject the Gospel, we will be condemned and eternally cast away from fellow believers and from God Himself. What a sad, sad reality. But we don't have to suffer that fate if we will listen to Jesus. That's why Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, as He was offering people to come and follow after Him. He says in verse 29, Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says if you will listen and learn from Him and His words and His teachings, that's the gateway for rest. Peace with God. Peter warns about that in that second sermon. That Jesus is the prophet that is like Moses 
And then we have the responsibility to listen to Him. To listen to His words. To be obedient to Him. And thirdly, what you see is that Jesus faced rejection like Samuel did. It's interesting that as you think about the figures that Peter names very explicitly here in the book or in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3 and in verse 18, he says that, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled that the prophets had an important role of talking about the times that were to come the period of restoration, and the period of which there would be immense blessing. You think in contrast to what Jesus or Peter has been talking about, he's been talking about important figures like Abraham and Moses in the Old Testament. And now he's lumping all the prophets that the prophets spoke about these times, the time of Jesus. That's why Jeremiah would write about a new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. A new covenant that would come. And Jesus said that whenever He instituted the Lord's Supper that He gave His blood as the blood of the new covenant. He's directly connecting His death to the covenant that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And Peter is wanting us to see that the prophets had a very important role in proclaiming and telling us about these things and these events. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, talking about Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. And he goes on in verse 24, and likewise all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, also announced these days. Now it's interesting that he mentions Samuel. I wonder if I missed a slide there. Let's see if I can go back here. Technology sometimes doesn't want to work. Yeah, here we are. It's interesting that Peter names Samuel. Not that Samuel isn't an important guy, but there's something about that. I don't know what it's doing. Ty, you broke it, didn't you? Now, blame it. No, that was on me. But there, it's interesting that. Peter names Samuel. Not that Samuel is unimportant. But you think about the prophets. And in my mind, I kind of go back to think about Elijah, who was with Jesus and Moses in the Mount of Transfiguration. Or I think about Isaiah or Jeremiah. Prophets who wrote something, lengthy works, or Ezekiel, or even Daniel, or other prophets. But why did God or why did Peter name Samuel? 
Oftentimes, Samuel is considered to be the last judge of Israel and the first prophet, and the first one who holds the official office of prophet. Maybe that's why Peter uses Samuel. But I tend to have a different idea on why Peter might have named very explicitly Samuel. And that is, what is Peter's purpose here? He's been trying to show the Jews that you have rejected Jesus. Jesus, the one who fulfilled the promise to Abraham. He is the prophet that Moses spoke about, in which God declared at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is the one that you're supposed to receive and listen to. But what did they do? They rejected Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 3 and in verse 13, notice the words and the language that Peter uses. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for to be granted to you. You rejected Jesus. It's been his point. And what Peter has been trying to show is that when you rejected Jesus, you were rejecting all of God's plan from the moment that God promised Abraham that all nations of the earth might be blessed. From that point onward, you've rejected it all. You know who that reminds you of? At least reminds me of Samuel. In 1 Kings chapter, or 1 Samuel chapter 8, a passage that I know we are all familiar with. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the people of Israel they said, We don't want to be like what God wants us to be. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. They demanded that Samuel appoint a king. Samuel, give us a king. And remember what God said to Samuel? In 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The point that Peter is trying to connect here, I believe, by explicitly naming Samuel, is that this is history repeating itself all over again. That they did not just reject Jesus of Nazareth. They rejected the whole plan of God just like they did in Samuel's day. They rejected God and His plan. They were rejecting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They were rejecting everything that God had been promising to them. Everything. They were rejecting God and His plan 
and God's anointed and chosen one that God had declared that they needed to listen to. We need to be certain that we don't follow in their steps. Because Jesus is the one who has ushered in the era of the new covenant. He is the one who has brought times of refreshing, forgiveness of sins, and blessings. And because of what Jesus has accomplished in forgiving us of our sins, Peter was able to say in Acts chapter 3 and verse 25, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers. His point is that you guys should be the ones who understand this. You are the ones who are supposed to get it, but yet you rejected Jesus. You had it right there before you, and you rejected Him. You might think, wow, this is pretty bleak. This is a pretty bleak sermon. I think it is. It's a very strong sermon. But it's not one without hope. Because Peter says in verse 19, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing. Restoration. Forgiveness of your sins. Even those who rejected Jesus and sent Him to the cross, even they were given an opportunity to come back to God. That ought to bring comfort and hope to each and every one of us. And even though we were not there shouting, as we read this morning, crucify Him, crucify Him. Our sins, they might separate us from God. But if God was willing to extend His mercy and His forgiveness to those who had shouted, crucify Him, and rejected His plan, if He was willing to extend mercy and forgiveness to those folks, then it stands to reason that He would forgive us. The times of refreshing, Peter uses some interesting language in this sermon that I believe that are all uh, parallel statements. The times of refreshing in verse 19 and verse 21, he calls it the period of restoration. In verse 25 and 26, he's talking about that in Jesus we can be blessed, that all families of the earth will be blessed. The era of God's blessing through Abraham and through His seed, that is now in the times of refreshing. And the times of refreshing, they come from the presence of the Lord, that God is the one who had announced through His prophets that Jesus would suffer. None of this came as a surprise to God. The times of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is the one who sent Jesus and the Lord who 
raised up a prophet like Moses. God raised up His servant Jesus to preach good news, to preach a message of salvation. God offers His grace. And even though God told us and that God knew what would happen, He was still willing to do it. The times of refreshing, the time in which God has completed His covenant promises to the people of Israel through Jesus Christ. The times of refreshing is the era of the new covenant. The times of refreshing is the era of forgiveness of sins. The times of refreshing is the era of hope and everlasting life because of Jesus' death and His resurrection. And the times of refreshing is the era of Christ's rule and reign in the kingdom of God. He says there in verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. He uses that language of restoration. Remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 that the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Peter saying it's accomplished. Jesus accomplished His mission. He is now enthroned at the right hand of God, which was part of His sermon in Acts chapter 2. That now Christ rules and He reigns. And He brings times of refreshing for us. The times of refreshing is the time of the new covenant that God accomplished through which we now can enjoy the blessings through Jesus Christ. The times of refreshing are now available to us. And we can enjoy the blessings and the benefits of having our sins forgiven and washed away when we repent of our wickedness and our sins. Now maybe we weren't there that day shouting crucify Him, crucify Him. But when we sin, it's a rejection of God. It's a rejection of His law. It's a rejection of Jesus and His message of hope. Do not remain in your sins. Repent and return to God. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered rejection so that you could be accepted by God. This morning, if you need to come back to the Lord, we would encourage you, if, you're, if you've never named the name of Christ and have never put Him on in baptism, we would have no greater delight than to help you become a Christian. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing? When